Ladies and gents, welcome back to this episode. My name is Dallin Haas. Today is a Q&A episode, and we're not going to mess around. We're not going to horse around. We're going to jump right in. So there's three questions today. And if you're a federal employee, you've got questions about your benefits, your retirement, investing, Social Security, pension, any of that good stuff, feel free to submit in a question of your own, and you will probably be featured here on a future episode. So there's a link in the description below on the podcast. I'm on the YouTube channel. Check out the description. There's a bunch of good stuff in there, courses and all kinds of good goodies. Um, submit a question, and you will potentially be featured here on, um, on the show. So today, again, we've got three questions. And to give you context to the first one, um, this was in response to a previous video I did, um, talked about retirement, some insurance, and so we'll dig right into that. So they said, hey, this segment, or the video I, I had produced previously, takes us just to the edge of answering a few of um, few questions about benefits um, right at retirement. But the things it didn't answer is, hey, will the government continue to contribute to health insurance in retirement? Or, you know, what happens to basic life insurance in retirement? Do we lose our supplemental life? Or is there an option to keep it? I heard that we should look outside for life insurance, but whether or not we could keep it, I don't know, right? So that's their question. They, there's kind of a lot of questions in one, but let's, let's attack the first one. The first question they have is, hey, is the government going to continue paying for their portion of my health insurance in retirement? Now, um, for some of you, that might be confusing. Can you say, hey, I actually, I pay for that, right? Because every paycheck uh, or in retirement, every monthly pension check, a big piece of that comes out for health insurance, right? You pay for it. Well, how it works is you're, the government actually picks up about 70% of the cost of premiums, okay? And you pick up the remaining part. So, actually, if the government did not pick up their part, your premium would be about three to four times where, what it is right now. So, we could all be grateful that the government picks that up. Now, the question is, hey, is the government going to continue to do that in retirement? And the answer, as of say, is yes. Yes, it, is, it doesn't change in retirement. They will continue to pay their portion of it, even in retirement. And when it comes to the cost of health insurance, nothing's going to automatically change when you retire. Like there's, there's not like a, a switch that said, oh, you're going to pay more because you retire. Um, but what does happen over time, as I'm sure you've seen, that health insurance costs do rise over time. Right, So your health insurance, I'm sure, will rise in retirement, but it's not because you retire. It's just over time things rise, and in retirement it's going to rise as well. Right, That's why cost of living adjustments in retirement to your pension are so important to at least keep up with your health insurance. Right, So that, that's one of the first questions here. Um, the next question has to do with life insurance. They say, hey, can we keep life insurance into retirement? Um, what about the supplemental, like Part B, Part C? Um, what about those? Um, can we keep that into retirement? And I've done a number of videos on this, and there'll actually be a link in the article associated with this. So if you go back to the website, um, I always write an article with most videos. You can check out the article. There's a link there that goes to another article, basically going deep into um, FEGLI, your life insurance with the government, um, so they understand exactly how these things work in retirement. And the short answer is yes, you can take your life insurance into retirement, the real answer is, hey, do you want to? Does it make sense for you? Because it costs money, and the cost rises pretty significantly as you get into your 40s, 50s, 60s. Into retirement, it gets very expensive. So make sure you do your research first. 
Do you need life insurance? Second, what's the best place to get it? Um, and if it's through you know your federal job, great. If it's not, great. You, you know, life insurance is one of those things where get what you need, but don't get more than you need unless you want to, um, and go from there. So that was question number one. Question number two. Um, this is a short one. They say, hey, are you folks fiduciaries? So for some of you, that might be just like a whole other language, but basically, um, me and my firm, we're financial planners. We help people with retirement, stuff like that. And in the financial planning industry, a big term that gets thrown around is fiduciary. Um, and basically what that term means is that we're obligated, legally obligated, to put our client's interest before our own and to do what's best for the client, right? Um, and the reason you know that's relevant, because many of you are like, well, duh, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do as a professional, right? And I agree, I agree. As a professional, that's what everyone should do for any type of client, right, if they're helping anyone. Um, the reason it's important is because some people actually aren't legally obligated to do that. Some people, depending on how they're licensed, how they get paid, um, they're not obligated to do what's best for the client all that they are obligated to do is to find a suitable solution for the client. Doesn't have to be the best one, but just suitable, right? So that's why, why it comes into play. Uh, if you're looking for a planner, a financial planner, financial advisor, um, you know, a fiduciary is a nice thing to have, right? It's not the end of the world because um, there's some great planners that I've talked to that aren't technically fiduciaries, but they do incredible work for clients. And it, I'm not saying they take advantage of clients if you're not a fiduciary. It's just um, a nice kind of perk to have. Okay, so yes, our firm is fiduciary, um, so hopefully that answers your question. Question number three, and this is a great question, says, hey, how do the three major markets like the Dow Jones, S&P, the NASDAQ correlate with the different TSP funds? Sometimes I see that the Dow Jones increases for the week, but my C fund will decrease. Is the S&P correlated with the, the S fund? So this is a great question. Basically what they're asking is, hey, my TSP funds, what are they correlated with? What indexes do they track so that if I'm tracking these indexes, I actually know what my TSP is going to do, right? So basically, every one of the five TSP funds tracks something, okay? Um, they're based on something. They're invested in something, right? So let's go through them. So the C fund actually tracks what they call the S&P 500. And basically what that is, that's 500 of some of the largest companies here in the United States, right? So a lot of the well-known big corporations that I'm sure many of you have heard of, these 500 are basically what the, the C fund is invested in. Big, large um, companies that have been around for a while. Okay, that's, that's the C fund. The S fund is invested in what they call, it's called the Dow Jones Total Market Index. It's a long name. Um, and that is very different from the Dow Jones that you're normal, you're norm, you normally hear. Dow Jones has a number of different indexes that they do. Um, the famous one that a lot of people think of is the Dow Jones is 30 of the biggest and most well-known companies in the U.S., okay? Um, this one that the S Fund tracks is not that. It's actually the S Fund follows a different Dow Jones index, and this index is a bunch of small to medium companies and it's thousands of them in, in the United States. So 
The C fund is more larger companies. The S fund is some smaller companies. So that is why the S fund might be a little more volatile over time, um, but it might grow a little faster over time too, just a little bit over the C fund. Because the C fund is just more larger companies that have, have grown a lot already, and so there's less potential for growth. But of course, the C fund does great um, all the time as well. So that's the C fund, that's the S fund. The I fund is invested in a bunch of developed countries around the world, like um, parts of Europe, Australia, um, Japan, a lot of other developed countries. They track an index. It's got like the Far East, Australia. I, I forget the long name. Again, in the article associated with this, you could find like the exact names. Um, but a bunch of companies like that. That's what the I fund invests in. Um, the F fund invests in the basically it's, it's the total bond market in the United States. So there's all kinds of types of bonds out there, like corporate bonds, um, you know, government bonds, all things like that. And the F fund really captures a, the broad market of bonds. Um, and that's what they do. So the G fund is the last one, the last of the five. And basically it tracks um, US securities, the government um, securities. Um, and it's gonna be, of course, the most stable of all the funds. But that's basically what the different TSP funds track. They all, they track something, they invest in something specific, and that is why they grow at certain rates over time. And that's why some do better over time and some do not so much, right? So um, hopefully that's helpful. Again, if you want the specific names of these indexes, and some of them are long and, and not worth memorizing all the time. But again, that's all in the article um, associated with this. And um, I hope that's helpful. Those are the questions for the week. Um, again, if you have any questions, submit in the, in the link below and we will see you next time.